Good morning, Commissioners, and good morning uh, to the online um, audience. I'll ask the first witness to uh, state and spell his name for the record, please. Uh, thank you very much. My name is Rick Nichols, uh, R-I-C-K-N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S. Could you uh, promise or affirm to tell the truth, please? So help me God, yes I do. Great. Uh, Mr. Nichols, if you could start with a general introduction of uh, who you are and your role between 2011 and 2022, please. Happy to do so. I was elected first to the Ontario Legislative Assembly in October of 2011, and I served three terms, uh, ending obviously uh, June 2nd of uh, 2022. Uh, throughout those uh, three terms, for the first 10 years, I was a member of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario and held numerous positions, uh, first in opposition as, uh, as, as different uh, shadow cabinets, uh, shadow cabinet ministers. But also in my second term, I was appointed the uh, one of the deputy speakers in opposition for the Ontario Legislative Assembly. And then later uh, in the, my third term, I was appointed the a government deputy speaker for the Ontario Legislative Assembly. Thank you. We'll start with your uh, general position uh, on vaccines. Could you tell us about your hesitancy? First off, I want to make it very clear that I'm not an anti-vaxxer. However, having followed reports of what was happening around the world and the vaccine injuries and even deaths that were being reported, uh, I had made the decision along with my wife that we would not uh, have this substance injected into our bodies simply because of the fact that uh, we weren't certain of what the outcome would be. And I held true to that and maintained my integrity throughout the, the entire ordeal. How did you voice your concerns with the legislature when you were at work? Well, first of all, uh, throughout, we would have caucus meetings. Um, and throughout those caucus meetings, at various times, there would be uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for Ontario, started with Dr. Uh, Dr. Williams, and then talked, then after he had uh, retired, uh, Dr. Kieran Moore. And uh, they would be giving presentations as well as other doctors, uh, giving presentations to caucus. And there was an opportunity, because it was all on Zoom, uh, to ask questions and I would ask questions about uh, the the efficacy of these particular vaccines especially having heard of the injuries that were being reported throughout the world and even within the province themselves and of course uh, some people even more locally were experiencing uh, side effects from these vaccines but no one would ever come forward and say well it was the vaccine that caused that. How would you describe the general response to your concerns at the legislature? Well, you know, I think it was mixed. I think it was mixed. Uh, there was uh, uh, several opportunities uh, where I voiced my, my concerns. And sometimes, as you know, on Zoom, you can have a, a full, uh, full picture of everyone, or most people anyway, uh, sitting in and listening to the Zoom. And there was one individual who was the uh, campaign manager for the re-elect Doug Ford 2022, who was sitting in on the 
uh, sitting in on the caucus meetings. And one time I recall when I was asking questions of the, of the medical uh, advisor or the medical people there, uh, I caught him just kind of shaking his head as if to say, you know, uh, he totally disagreed. Uh, other than that, I would have side, sidebar conversations with uh, some of my other colleagues and some, some were supportive. Uh, there were a few that actually uh, I said, yeah, we, we are not in, we, we do not want to get uh, the vaccine for, for various reasons, for, the, for their own personal reasons. What were the consequences for you personally with uh, the Conservative caucus? Well, obviously uh, I had been uh, approached. Uh, I recall one day I was driving back uh, from the legislature back to Chatham, which is my hometown, and I received a phone call, and it was Premier Ford. And we talked, and his basic uh, comment to me was because he had known that there were a number of caucus members, myself, uh, that were vaccine hesitant, uh, not wanting to get vaccinated. So he called me and he basically said, Rick, please do me a favor, get vaccinated. To which I responded and said, Premier, that's gonna be a little challenging for me, a little difficult for me. And I gave him my reasons to which he replied, look, I don't need an answer right now, but by all means, think it over and let me know. Well, then I proceeded to get a phone call the following day from uh, one of the pollsters for the party and then on the Monday, I received a phone call from the uh, campaign chair uh, for the uh, for the PC reelect Doug Ford campaign. Now, this gentleman uh, was also a co-founder of a company called Rubicon Strategies, who, by the way, they're a lobbyist firm, and they represented uh, Big Pharma. Uh, Pfizer was one of them. Johnson and Johnson, AstraZeneca were others. And he said to me in a very unapologetic way. He said, you've got 72 hours. You either get vaccinated or you will be removed from the PC caucus. And I thought, wow. I said, you're, you're, that's a, you're threatening me? You're an unelected official and you're threatening me. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will talk to my doctor and uh, see whether to get his input. Well, of course, he basically said the following day, Rick, you know, you're healthy. You're good. Uh, the vaccines are safe and effective. Uh, I see no reason why you shouldn't get vaccinated. To which I responded, well, thank you very much. Um, I, I hold a different opinion. And so that was on the Tuesday. On the Wednesday, I drove up to Toronto and uh, prepared my notes. And on Thursday, I went before the cameras in the uh, media studio at Queen's Park and uh, very succinctly and very directly uh, made the comment that I would not be receiving these vaccines fully knowing as the as the as been indicated earlier in the week that if i didn't get vaccinated by thursday 72 hours i would then be removed and of course i knew the, what the consequences would be i was good at my end and uh, unfortunately uh, the government was good on their end and about 5 30 a press release was re was put out stating that i had been removed from caucus Ultimately, you ended up uh, leaving the Conservative Party. Is that right? That's correct. When I was when I was removed from caucus, I then uh, sat across the aisle um, as an independent, and that was my stand um, for several uh, for several months until I was approached by another Conservative Party, uh, to which I uh, 
had many discussions with them and decided to uh, support their leader. And then I joined the party and was appointed as deputy leader. And that was the Ontario one. It was like uh, standing across or sitting across from your former colleagues in the legislature. Ah, uh, yes, I was, and it's interesting. You know, at first, we, everybody had to wear a mask except for one day, and you you could still talk with a mask on, but I I didn't like that because it sounded very muffled. But it's it's interesting how even when someone has a mask on, uh, you can kind of read body body language and facial expressions. And uh, I was seeing a lot of serious looks. Uh, from my former colleagues uh, as I sat in opposition uh, as an independent and then as a member of the Ontario Party. And that, to me, spoke volumes. But I was the one that put my political career at risk by holding on to my integrity and staying strong and re realizing that I, was, I wasn't alone. There were millions of people throughout uh, Canada as well as uh, even in the States that voiced their Sent, sent emails and uh, had phone calls from people uh, standing by and saying, Rick, we support you. We admire your, your courage. I thought, well, I just want to do the right thing, not just for myself and my family, but also for others who were feeling the same way and were, as one we might say, somewhat vaccine hesitant. Would you say that your colleagues... Um or that you had the impression that your colleagues might be fearful that if they spoke out, they would suffer the same consequences that you suffered? You know, I that, that thought has gone through my mind quite often. And, and of course, you know, sometimes people will put uh, money or careers ahead of uh, doing the right thing. And uh, and so, you know, they, they claim that they received uh, the vaccines, uh, two shots uh, and some three and maybe even four. But it's sadly is that uh, I've talked to many people who have come up to me afterwards and said, Rick, you know, I, I got the two shots, but I am not getting any more shots because more and more data was coming out. And uh, despite the fact that the Minister of Health would continually say to me when I would challenge her uh, in the legislature during question period, you know, that the, the canned phrase was these vaccines are safe and effective. Protect your family, protect your friends, get vaccinated. We'll shift gears now to some of your um, direct legislative experience. Can you tell us where and when orders and bills were generally discussed? Initially, bills are discussed in caucus and they're brought forward, but it's it's kind of a, like at a 5,000 foot level. And uh, generally speaking, the minister uh, presenting the bill, that would be a government bill, uh, would give an overview of what it is and, and can capture the, the highlights of that particular bill. Then after the presentation was made by a minister, then uh, everyone in caucus had an opportunity to ask questions. And then once that was sufficient, then initially, or, or then after that, the, the bill would be uh, read for the first time, introduced in the legislature, and then there'd be debate at second reading. And then from there, after the debate, now, there'd be a vote, and assuming usually government bills uh, always always pass, uh, they would then go into committee and hopefully come out of committee with even stronger recommendations to make the bill even better. Then it would come back for a third reading, and that's the, that's the, the final reading. There'd be debate and then a vote.
mentioned uh, the readings. Can you comment on how the timing of readings changed during the pandemic? Well, it's, it's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times, you know, the, first of all, the government, uh, the Emergency Act, as an example, and that's the one that I got very vocal about, uh, sitting in opposition. Um, that particular bill, you know, passed the uh, second reading. And there was a timeline on that that said that basically uh, from the from the, a previous uh, reading, they had to extend the Emergency Act. And that the date, I believe, in that was around December 1st. So this is now taking place about a week before. And interestingly enough, how that in a in a an evening sitting where there's not many MPPs there, just those who were on house duty. And I, I wasn't on house duty, but I stayed in my office uh, because I felt that something might be up that week. And I was late in my office on Monday night and Tuesday night. And on Wednesday night, suddenly I hear the Solicitor General uh, come on and she starts talking about a bill. And I went, why would she be talking about a bill at third reading? And then it occurred to me uh, that she's talking about, you know, this uh, this motion to extend the uh, Emergency Act uh, into, like, I believe it was late March of 2022. So that kind of had, so I had some red flags kind of pop up in my head, and I, I went down, sought clarification, went back up to my office, and at that point in time, I finished up my notes uh, because I wanted to speak to it. And I got there, had I been 10 seconds later, because if no one stands to do further debate uh, on a particular bill, then the speaker uh, is is then asked to ask three times further debate, further debate, and then th further debate. And if no one else stands, that forces a vote. And of course, I walked in. Had I been ten seconds later, I think I would have missed out on the third further debate. I got there at the second one, and I got over to my seat, and uh, then I stood, and I had an opportunity to raise my concerns as to why I would not support the extension of the of that particular motion, as well as the fact that if, and I also made it very clear that since the Minister of Health was constantly saying these vaccines are safe and effective, I raised the issue that if they are that safe and effective, then they should they should not give Big Pharma what I would call, if you want to use the monopoly example, uh, a get out of jail card free uh, card because right now under those orders, uh, big pharma were protected and any vaccine injuries or deaths that occurred, uh, they could not be sued. So I said, well, if you're so confident, then remove that from the bill. That didn't happen. Um, after I was finished, there was again, uh, no one else stood up and that forced uh, a vote. Uh, the, the procedure is the speaker says all those in favor say aye, oppose, say nay. I said nay. I was the only one that said nay. He said, I heard a nay. I heard a no. Um, in my opinion, the ayes have it. Uh, had there been five people, myself and four others, stand, that would have forced a recorded vote. Unfortunately, I was the only one there uh, that opposed it. Therefore, the bill passed third reading on a voice vote. So we've heard that you didn't get much notice about um, this debate. How much time typically did MPPs have to review 
new orders and legislation and anything that was to be uh, passed in the in the house well the house leaders uh, both on the government side and opposition uh, are given a heads up as to what bills are going to be uh, introduced and uh, and typically it's 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 somewhat short notice but but at least you know the house leaders then let their especially in opposition uh, they let their people know so that those who want to speak to it can speak to it and get to get their speaking points you know all in a all in a row and can present during debate but was there time to review the legislation in detail? Uh, no. Uh, oftentimes, again, during a, uh, a caucus meeting, uh, details are, are brought brought forward and a review. If, for example, in opposition, if uh, if the opposition uh, requests a meeting uh, to review the bill, uh, that is often granted. And uh, but but then shortly thereafter, and then suddenly the you know d during proceedings. Uh, when the uh, when the speaker asks for orders of the day, uh, that's when a particular bill is introduced, and they start right into uh, they start right into uh, debate on it. Actually, at second reading, and of course, ultimately, you're always told how to vote by the party, right? Well, yes, we are. We are. Uh, typically, it would be political suicide uh, for someone to uh, oppose. Now, that's not to say that uh, there were times. Even when I was in opposition, where the government would bring forth a, a bill, that would be the liberal government at that time, and uh, there'd be a number of us actually in Cox that said, "No, we we can't we we can't support this particular bill." So then, and I remember our leader at the time said, "Well, look, it would look bad on us if we stood. A bunch of us stood in favor, and we had a number of uh, caucus members uh, stand opposed. So do us a favor." Just don't show up for the vote. And so that was often the case for that. But in, uh, uh, when in, in government, if someone was vehemently opposed to a particular bill, uh, then they would, they would be asked not to show up for the vote. Or sometimes, and it happened uh, actually with, with one individual, uh, no one knew that uh, this individual was uh, vehemently opposed to the, a bill that was being brought forward. It wasn't the bill that we're talking about now. And uh, this individual silently voted against it because we had to, because of because of COVID, uh, the voting structures were, were different. We had to go into our various, you know, east wing, west wing to vote, and we just kind of walked through when the, the clerks would check our names out. This individual uh, went on the nay side and voted, but then also issued a. Uh, a, a press release indicating that uh, uh, how how they were opposed to this particular bill. Well, that basically spelt the demise of this individual uh, from caucus. So well, that person was removed as well, but for different reasons. Okay. Thank you very much. We're out of time. So I uh, very much appreciate your testimony today. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Thank you for the time. I believe we may have a question from the commissioners, is that right? Before you leave us, Mr. Nichols, one moment. Apologies, commissioners. 
Good morning. I just have a quick question. The Solicitor General that you're referring to, is that Sylvia Jones? Yes, that's correct. Did Sylvia Jones in discussions with uh, caucus ever speak about the, the people who were demonstrating out of her office, outside her office, repeatedly, who were opposed to vaccines? Did that ever come up in her decision-making powers? That, I, I, I unfortunately, I, I don't have an answer for that. I, I do not know for sure. I know that there were uh, demonstrations and uh, a number of ministers were being uh, targeted. Uh, she may have been targeted, but I don't recall um, her specifically talking about the uh, protesters outside of her office. So basically, just as a follow-up, her decision-making was coming from the health folks, her peers in the health, and not necessarily her constituents? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident of that. Uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, you know, even, even uh, locally for myself, uh, I had cons constituents that, uh, that voiced concerns. Uh, you know, some were definitely in favor of it, uh, but there were also many that were fearful. And I didn't think that it was appropriate that even, even businesses who had no medical background would, in fact, um, you know, mandate these vaccines for people that didn't want it. Vaccinate or terminate. That was that was the uh, the way it went. And I was totally against that. That to me that was coercion, and people lost lost their jobs because of it. And that just is not right. And you would also know that Sylvia Jones is not a medical doctor. That's correct. She is not. She and uh, and the Minister of Health Christine Elliott, who by the way is not a medical doctor either, uh, but she was the Minister of Health. Uh, we're uh, we're very close. Uh, in, in throughout the entire COVID, because the, the rules, were sorry, the responsibilities of the Solicitor General, and of course the uh, responsibilities of the Minister of Health. But again, they were taking their lead from the Chief Medical Officers of Health, uh, Dr. Williams, Dr. Moore, and I also firmly believe that the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons uh, were were muzzling doctors and saying, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to do it. And I believe that they, in fact, were providing some direction uh, to, to the Chief Medical Officers of Health as well. There's a lot of advisors out there, but uh, what I found was that with many people, uh, you try to talk to them about it, and I have an adage, and it's called, don't confuse me with facts, my mind's already made up. And there was no real discussion about uh, whether or not these whether or not these mandates were, were going to be uh, uh, well received. Obviously they weren't because there was demonstrations going on uh, throughout, the, throughout the province actually, uh, even, after I was, even after I was removed from caucus. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, Mr. Nichols. Thank you for uh, coming here to testify. I have a few short questions. Certainly, sir. How long were you uh, sitting member of the Ontario legislature? Well, from October of uh, 2011 through to uh, August 19th, 2021, when I was removed from caucus. And you, um, you said that you were a member of caucus. For my information and perhaps for some of the folks listening, can you describe to me what you mean by caucus? Okay, those are the elected, the MPPs, elected MPPs, who were in fact, uh, uh, who won their seat sitting as a member of the of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. 
that's caucus. They, they, every, every MPP, uh, of the party, they, they comprise caucus. They're elected officials, but every once in a while, there'd be some unelected people in there, uh, sitting in on those meetings as well. Um, you had mentioned to me that, or should you mention in your testimony that, um, you felt you were, your position was threatened by an unelected official in your time. In your time in the legislature, was that a common practice for unelected officials to come in and threaten your position as an elected official? Well, I can't speak for others. All I can do is speak for mine, and I certainly, uh, you know, didn't appreciate uh, the coercion, the threats uh, from this unelected official telling me that uh, that if I didn't comply uh, with getting the vaccines, uh, by the way, his company, although he had stepped aside as the co-founder and and, uh, and president of, uh, of Rubicon Strategies. Uh, he, he in fact, uh, was very, very uh, threatening. And uh, as a result, I had to deal with that. And I was not about to uh, uh, comply to his, uh, his direction. He's not a medical doctor either. Uh, you were elected by, in a certain riding or a certain area in Ontario to represent the people of that riding. Is that not correct? Yes, sir, it is. Uh, Chatham-Kent-Leamington is my riding. Proudly represented the people. And even after I was removed from caucus, uh, after August 19, 2021, I continued to uh, you know, do my very best to support uh, the people, the constituents uh, in my riding. Well, having said that, you had also said that when certain bills were coming uh, down the pipe and you may be imposed to those bills and and being on opposition, seeing as you're the elected representative in your riding, how, do, how is it that members can say they represent the people in the riding when the party tells them how they will vote universally? In other words, are you representing the party or are you representing the people? Therein is the the million dollar question. Uh, again, I mean, it's, so what would happen is that uh, the when a bill is presented to caucus, there are talking points that uh, are also provided. Now, those talking points assist greatly in the preparation of debate talking points. And of course, it's up to the individual, uh, that being the elected official, the MPP, to basically sell those talking points, not only in debate, but obviously uh, back in my writing, I had great staff and they would feel, uh, we would have meetings and I would say, okay, here's, here's how we're going to present this or, or talk about it. But there were times when uh, some of those talking points uh, I didn't agree with. And candidly between uh, myself and maybe a person I was talking with who was quite upset, uh, I'd have a candid, uh, candid discussion with them regarding those talking points. Last uh, question. Um, I, when we listened, just before you came on, we listened to a video by Premier Ford, and I believe he said in that video that they were taking, they would not go against any, any uh, directives or information they got from their health officers. As a member of the caucus, do you recall being involved in any discussions where you raid, where the the caucus weighed the risks and benefits of the vaccine, the lockdowns, the mandates, etc. You know, you would expect health officers to make a certain decision or a certain recommendation, and then you would expect the politicians to review the social 
financial economic implications of those debate them and then make a decision as to to adopt them or to adopt modifications or not to adopt them at all. So were you involved in any of those risk-benefit uh, conversations? Well, again, one of the things that I that I would challenge during caucus meetings was the efficacy of the vaccines. Uh, I challenged on several occasions uh, the reasons why are we sub subjecting uh, 11 to 11 to 17 year olds or 12 to 17 year olds rather you know uh with this with this vaccine when we're seeing that that two things uh first of all the younger people uh, don't necessarily uh would, would not normally come down, come down with with covid um and i would i would challenge that why are we doing it? what recommend or what uh, what proof do we have that these vaccines are safe and effective where are the trials and i would just get some an answer that that for as far as I was concerned, I wasn't satisfied with. And then when they also all of a sudden wanted to go down to uh, the five to eleven year olds, oh boy, I'll tell you, I I I, I questioned that, challenged the doctors, you know, in in our in our caucus meetings. But again, it would seemingly fall on deaf ears. Uh, it's the old story. Don't confuse me with facts. Our mind is made up. Thank you very much for your service and your courage in coming and and representing the people of your riding and the people of Ontario. Thank you, sir. I truly appreciate the kind comments. Thank you.